I want to think this morning about what it means to be an entrepreneur. And I think it's a phrase that we hear a lot and we sort of have an idea of what it means. We think of people like an Elon Musk or a Bill Gates who build a company kind of on their own um, and accomplish major things and make a ton of money. And that's right. That is a kind of entrepreneurship. But I want to suggest that being an entrepreneur really means two big ideas. Um, one of those is that you have some kind of capital investment. Right? This could be literally money, like it is in the parable with the talents of gold, or it could be uh, you know, a skill or an ability, or it could even be an insight or a new idea. Right? But you have something that you're building upon. Uh, and then the second thing it takes to be an entrepreneur is a ton of work. Right? I mean, you have to put a ton of energy and effort into building upon that capital, that idea, that gift that you have. Uh, and, and I would say, in that sense, entrepreneur doesn't just mean a business owner, right? It means anybody who has a talent, a skill, an insight, um, some wealth, whatever, that they put a ton of work into and, and build something out of it. I want to tell you about a, a story of an entrepreneur uh, of whom I'm um, very taken with. Um, I'm, I'm going to um, probably mispronounce his name, but his name was Ignaz Semmelweis. And Semmelweis was a Hungarian doctor in the middle of the 19th century, in the mid-1800s. I've got a picture of him. Would you put that up? Just leave that up for a few minutes. So uh, Semmelweis was uh, a doctor and also a scientist. And um, he was living in Vienna and working in a, a hospital. And one of the things he did was he ran a clinic for women who were pregnant and couldn't afford health care. It wasn't his original thing. He came into something that already existed. It was an unusual clinic, however, because there were actually really two clinics in the, in the one facility. And every other day, a different team staffed the clinic. So the first clinic, it was called, was run by doctors and medical students, including Semmelweis. The second clinic was run by midwives and midwifery students. Now, one of the worst kept secrets in Vienna was that this clinic had wildly different outcomes depending on which of those groups you saw, what day you happened to arrive and have a baby. The clinic that the doctors ran was uh, about 10 to 20 percent mortality rate, which meant one in 10 or one in five mothers who came to be delivering on those days died, almost always from something they called childbed fever. The midwifery clinic had a mortality rate of 4%. So one in 25 women who delivered with them um, died of childbed fever. It was such a dramatic difference that sometimes women would choose to have their babies in the street when they realized that they'd come on a day when the doctors were in session. Okay? So Semmelweis, being a, a scientist as well as a doctor, wanted to understand what was going on. Why were these wildly different outcomes happening? And he did all this work, and, and finally he came up with this, this crazy idea. Um, the, the thing that made the doctors different from the midwives is the doctors weren't just working with pregnant mothers. They were also doing all kinds of other stuff, including a lot of um, examination of cadavers. Right? They were doing, learning human anatomy. And so the, the medical students and the doctors would literally be in one room, and they'd be examining and, and, and operating and, and opening up a cadaver, then they'd just change rooms and they'd go deliver a baby. Semmelweis had this crazy idea. He said, what if, what if we asked the doctors to wash their hands 
between touching the dead bodies and touching the pregnant mothers. Uh, now, remember, this is before Louis Pasteur, before the germ theory. We don't, they didn't understand about bacteria or viruses or any of that stuff, right? But, but someone said, I, I can't come up with any other difference between the doctors and the midwives except that the doctors are doing all this other stuff before they get in there. So he started requiring his staff to wash their hands before going in to do a delivery. The mortality rate in his clinic dropped dramatically from 10 to 20 percent to 4%, and then even lower than the midwives, it ended up being lower than 1% of mothers that were dying from childbed fever. This was an unbelievable breakthrough, and you can imagine that uh, at this time, he wanted everybody to know, right? He knew that tens of thousands of lives could be saved if he could teach people this simple idea. The problem was, in the mid-1800s, again, they didn't understand about germs, bacteria, viruses, and so as he told other doctors, he was widely mocked. Uh, doctors were insulted that he said they were, they were unclean in some way and had to wash their hands. And, uh, and in fact, many of them thought this idea of some kind of cat, particle from a cadaver that transferred um, by the doctor to the pregnant woman was just absurd and, and ridiculous. Uh, so much so, in fact, that as he pushed his theory, the, the medical community pushed back, ran him out of Vienna. He moved to Budapest. And he spent the next 20 years of his life trying to convince the world uh, of the importance of this simple idea, right? Believing he could save lives. Um, he was widely rejected for almost his entire life. Uh, in fact, uh, he ends his life um, with uh, almost a mental breakdown. He goes into a mental hospital and 14 days after admittance, he dies from a beating he received from the guards and an infection he got after that beating. Semmelweis is an entrepreneur, but not like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk. Right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't win anything in this life. He doesn't come away with fame or rewards. We know his name today, but certainly in his time, dying in a mental hospital was not uh, a sign of something to be respected. But, but the difference between an entrepreneur and a kingdom entrepreneur is that the kingdom entrepreneur is looking for a reward when the king comes back. Uh, I think Semmelweis' reward will not come, obviously, in this life, but it comes when the king comes back and demands an accounting from his slaves. Uh, and this is the idea I want you, and I think Jesus wants you to wrestle with today, that we are called to be kingdom entrepreneurs. We're called to be these people who recognize uh, that God has invested in us and now expects us to do something with that investment, even if we don't receive worldly recognition for it. Because one day the king is coming back and the king's going to settle accounts. This passage in Genesis is um, one of the most important stories in the Bible. Uh, there are really um, two big stories in Genesis. Uh, the first story is the story of Adam and Eve, and the second story is the story of Abram and Sarah, okay, or Sarai. Uh, and, and in both situations, we're presented with a similar idea. God, the creator of the universe, the maker of the heavens and the earth, says, I want to invest in humans. I actually want to partner with humans. I want to I want to work together with you not as like a cosmic godmother fairy or as a as a galactic santa claus or a or an angry judge or a powerful warrior. I want to be like a partner with you. 
almost like a business partner with you. I'm going to make these things, I, I'm going to call them covenants. We think of them as almost contracts, right? I'm going to make these agreements with you about how we're going to work together. And, and God first does that with Adam and Eve, and they say, no, nah, we don't want to partner with you, God. We want to do it our own way. And then he comes to Abram and Sarai, and he says, hey, I want to try this again. I want to partner with you. And, and please, Abram and Sarai are really broken people. I mean, they do horrible things in their life. But this they get right. They say, yeah, we would love to partner with you, God. We would love to be invested with your blessing so that we can work on it and give it away to others. And this is really the core message of the Bible, right, is that, uh, that God desires to be in partnership with us, right? He wants to be in covenant with us. He wants to invite us in. He wants to invest in us first. Today, as Christians, that investment comes through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then he says, now that I have invested in you, I want you to go and use what I've given you. I want you to work like crazy and, and bring some kind of return. I hope you noticed in the story, um, there were three servants, and the first, actually all three servants receive a different amount of money from their master. This is really important. Jesus is telling us, um, I'm not as interested in how much God has given you as I am in what you do with what God has given you. Uh, and and the, the key job of the servants wasn't to earn the money or to, um, to prove their deservedness. It would say, hey, I have been given all of this. I'm going to work like crazy with what I've been given. I have a friend named Antipas Harris who's a pastor, and he tells a story about his great-great-grandmother. Uh, his great-great-grandmother was, um, uh, was an entrepreneur uh, and sort of the wealthy black woman in her community, and she did all kinds of stuff to be successful. I mean, she, she made moonshine and sold moonshine. That's it's an entrepreneur of a sort. Uh, she, she built rooms onto her home so that when the African-American men who were building the railroad came through town, they could, she could charge them rent. Uh, she, she learned midwifery. Actually, got a little midwifery theme, but she learned midwifery so she could help deliver babies in her community, just all of these things. And, and, and she was successful, and she had, a, a, for the time, a nice home, um, but she um, ran into some of the challenges that every black woman ran into in that season. Um, one of those was there were no banks for African-American people. So literally, she took her money that she worked her tail off for, and she literally put it under the mattress so that when the first time her house burned down, she didn't just lose her house, she lost everything she had. She rebuilt and uh, she worked her tail off and she came up with new ideas as entrepreneurs do and she excelled at them and she made a new house and some new money and um, then she ran into another problem that African-American women ran into at that time, which was um, if you were successful and you were black, there were people that didn't want you to be. And so the second time, it was the Ku Klux Klan that burned down her house and she lost everything again. And he tells this story about his great-great-grandmother, um, not as, boy, it's so sad that she couldn't get ahead, but as this incredible recognition that what made her special was not uh, the gifts she'd been given. In fact, she'd been given, um, in the, according to the world standards, relatively little, and she kept losing all the wealth she had, um, but it was what she did with it 
Her unbelievable determination to rebuild and rebuild and rebuild a third time and continue to to use the the intellect and the talent that she had uh, to, to make something of herself in a world that told her that she wasn't worthy of doing so. This was a woman who was unwilling, no matter the cost, to bury her talents, to hide what God had given her, but she believed um, that God had a desire to partner with her. Um, I believe this is one of the great challenges for us, one of the two things that hold us back from being kingdom entrepreneurs. The first is we, we doubt ourselves, right? We doubt ourselves. We don't understand ourselves well. We say, boy, you know, I yeah, sure, I've got some talent, but I don't have as much as Susie Q has, and I'm not as good as, as Johnny over there, and boy, I'm not sure if, if I actually try to invest on this thing that God's given me, what if it fails? What if it goes poorly? I'd rather just hide it. Right? I'd rather just put it aside. And, and Jesus says, hey, you know what? I want you to take some risks. Right? I, I want you to take what I've, been given, I've given you and, and see what happens if you give it away. Um, and, and yeah, I know it's scary, um, but the goal of the kingdom of God is not to keep what God has given us, but to give away what God has given us to others. Uh, and so uh, I, I think about people like Semmelweis and um, Dr. Harris's great-great-grandmother as these examples of people that simply would not let go of what God had given them, would not give up on the work God had before them. There's a second challenge, however, I think, for us being kingdom entrepreneurs, and it's the specific challenge that this slave has. I don't know if you noticed, uh, but when the master comes to the third slave, the one who received one talent, the, the slave said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, the reality of the third slave is um, he doesn't just have a flawed understanding of himself and, and the gifts he's been given and the potential God's placed in him. He has a flawed understanding of God. He has a flawed understanding of the master who has chosen to invest in him. Uh, and I think this is overwhelmingly important. We cannot advance the kingdom of God if we don't know who God is. And, and this is so important, in fact, that uh, in the Lent um, part of this sermon series, we're going to spend the whole season of Lent thinking about our vision of God, how we perceive God rightly or wrongly. Uh, but just now I want to say um, it's so easy for us to misunderstand who God is and therefore miss out on the work and the opportunity that God has in our life. So... Um, this can happen on an intellectual level, right? It can say, boy, you know, uh, there's so much suffering in the world. How can there be a good God that allows this much suffering? And, and that's a good question. Right? But if that question keeps me from getting involved in the work of God of blessing the world, then I'm missing who God is and missing out what God wants me to do. This can happen in personal trauma, right? This, this um, horrible grief happened to my family. This horrible physical illness affected me. Uh, this deep depression, whatever it might be, overcame me. And in the midst of it, I lost the idea that God was good. I lost the idea that God loves me and wants to partner with me, wants to invest in me. And totally understandable, but when we miss that, when we lose it, we lose the opportunity to change the world for the better. We lose the opportunity to say, God, I want to be involved in carrying your blessing to the nations. Sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes as the master says to the servant, we're just lazy, right? Sometimes we just say, hey, God, I know you've given me this. 
I know I could do something great with it, but I'm so busy and I'm so tired and I need a break and I don't have time to invest in the things of your kingdom right now. And I think one of the most critical things for us is to recognize the goodness of God, right? that, that God has this unbelievable interest in loving us and investing us and partnering with us. Um, I, I think this is part of the concern Jesus has with the whole nation of Israel in his day, right, is that this is a nation that was designed to spread the love of God to the world, and instead they're sort of hoarding it for themselves. They're burying it in the ground. And, and I think this is the danger the church always runs into, right, is that we can say, isn't it great that we're saved? Isn't it great that God blesses us? Isn't it great that God takes care of us? Instead of saying, yeah, and the reason for that, so that we can go out and tell the world and show the world the blessing of God. So uh, here's what I want to think about. I, I want to think about um, what this looks like and, and, and how we serve as kingdom entrepreneurs. And, and particularly, I want to think about if there's a way we can help each other to get better at this, right? Because that fear that maybe I'm not good enough and that confusion about who God really is, um, boy, those can really hold me back. Is there anything that we can do to help each other press forward into uh, building on the talents God's given us. So I, I came across this, this video. Um, uh, it's kind of a long one. I don't usually do stuff this long, but um, it, it's about a, a Parkland Medical Center in Indiana. And I want you to see it in its entirety because um, I want to do what they're doing. Okay? Play that for me. This is Lori Whitman. In 2019, Lori began a new role at Parkview Health, a healthcare system that employs 13,000 healthcare workers across 10 locations in Northeast Indiana. When she began, Lori didn't know exactly what her new job would look like. And then six months into it, the COVID-19 pandemic began. She wasn't sure what she would do or how she could help people. This is Tony McCarroll, a catering and banquet manager at Parkview. He too suddenly found his job to be unrecognizable when the pandemic began. He was reassigned to another location and asked to fill whatever at your request role was needed at a given time. This is Jamie Jensen, who works in the emergency department at Parkview. For years, she's been used to being exposed to infectious diseases at her job. But suddenly in 2020, she went home from work and the disease was still there. She went to the store, and the disease was still there. Everywhere she went, the disease was still there. This is Will Curry, the pastor of a church in Fort Wayne and one of the many chaplains at Parkview. As he led and shepherded others through one of the darkest seasons in recent history, he thought often of the biblical story about Job. Tragedy was all around him. This is D'Artagnan Williamson, a manager in Parkview's financial clearance and counseling. D'Artagnan has been at Parkview for over 20 years, but 2020 became especially hard when a close friend of hers, a director whom she worked with, passed away from cancer. This is Dr. Joseph McCollum, a GI medical oncologist. In the middle of watching the world suffer from the multiple waves of COVID-19, Dr. Joe was responsible for staying with the fight against cancer. Normally, he would spend lots of time in person with his patients, but now most of his human interactions have been reduced to a video call. 
And this is Rose in Cabo, an expert RN in wound care. While working to serve her staff and assist in research, Rose found out that both of her elderly parents had contracted COVID-19. Whenever she had a break on her shift, Rose would stop by each of their individual hospital rooms at Parkview and see her parents from behind the glass. Her mother eventually died from the virus. And though her elderly father survived, his dementia was so bad that he never realized that his wife was gone. Behind every face is a story, a sorrow, and a spirit to keep going. Before the COVID-19 pandemic, none of these men or women knew what the other was carrying, even though they all worked at Parkview. And then one day, an email appeared in the inbox of all 13,000 health system employees. It was Rose, on video, talking about her parents, sharing her moment of grief, but thanking the hospital for a small act of kindness, allowing her two parents to be in the same room before her mother passed. That her coworkers would do that meant so much to her. Rose told everyone, I am lucky to be a Parkview employee. Before that, there'd been a video of Dr. Joe giving thanks for the modern technology that had allowed him to see a patient on a video call, a patient who he noticed was slouching in a strange way. Dr. Joe told the patient to immediately go to the hospital where surgeons discovered a brain bleed and were able to save his life. Around that same time, there had been another video with D'Artagnan Williamson, who was so proud to be helping people afford the medical care they needed. She reminded everyone that loving others was the greatest goal of their work. In his video, Chaplain Will Curry talked more about Job and shared with everyone that in the last few weeks, his grandfather had died from COVID-19. And then his mother. Despite his deep sorrow, Chaplain Will Curry ended his video with a prayer for his coworkers. He prayed to God, we ask you that you give them a lifted up spirit, not a spirit of defeat. Jimmy Jensen, the ER worker, revealed that she was the one making sure everyone in her emergency department had a mask. The right number, on the right days, in the right hands. No task was too small or too insignificant. And Tony McCarroll, the catering manager, shared that because he had been reassigned, he had found himself preparing special dinner requests. Only later did he realize that he had the quiet, holy privilege of serving others their last meal. Tony's video reminded everyone, what we do, it matters. Every weekday, a new video came out. It was called The Daily Dose. First there were 10, then 20, then 50, then 100. Each one a story, a job, a purpose, a life, a struggle, a prayer. Nurses would watch The Daily Dose during their huddles. Teams would gather to listen and to pray. Others would watch from home, even on their days off. There was rejoicing with rejoicing. There was mourning with mourning. The unseen were now seen. A 13,000-person staff became a 13,000-person family. And behind all 249 Daily Dose videos was Lori Whitman, who had found herself at the beginning of the pandemic unsure as to how she could help people. She began meeting with her team. She prayed. And that's when it came to her, the Daily Dose videos. 
God had given her a grander vision. I want to do that. Uh, I, I think one of the hardest things of being a, a, a kingdom entrepreneur is, is feeling like you're in it alone, right? Feeling like, yeah, I'm trying to build on the, the gifts God's given me, but I don't know what everyone else is going through, and, and they don't know what I'm going through, and um, my thing can be overwhelming. I, I want to do, li- literally do that. I'm not going to do it every day because that would kill me, um, but every week, um, I hope between now and the end of our series on vision, which is in May, uh, I want to send out a video about one of you and one of the ways that you are being a kingdom entrepreneur, one of the ways that you are investing and building what God has given you. And that might be uh, this great gift and joy. It might be, hey, God's put my life in a season of sorrow right now, and I'm working really hard through that. Um, I have the privilege of knowing a lot of your stories, but I, I want y'all to know those stories. Uh, so here's what I want you to do. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, reach out to some people individually, but, but if you are willing and interested and able, I would love the privilege over the next weeks and months to sit down with you and, and just three to five minutes, um, I want to record a video where you share about what God's doing in your life. Uh, and, and where He has invested in you and how you are working to build on that investment. And then I want to share it with the whole church, uh, whether that's via email or on Sunday morning. I, I don't know yet, but it's going to be awesome, okay? Um, so I know that a lot of people are thinking, boy, I don't have one of those stories, but you do. Uh, and, and I think this is the core message of our Scripture. Everybody gets a talent. God invests in everyone. God wants to partner with everyone. The only question is, do we step up to the plate when God comes calling? So I know you're doing that. I want to share it with each other. So uh, over the coming weeks, months, please be, be courageous and reflective and say, hey, Jim, I'd love to get together and talk about um, what God's doing in this area of my life. And, and then I'm really excited to share that with the church. And I believe the more stories we hear about the people of God advancing the kingdom of God, the more we catch the vision of Jesus and the more we're willing to say, hey, I want to do that too. I want to build on the gifts of God in my life and share the story uh, with Jesus uh, to the rest of the world, whatever that might look like. Uh, So um, please, please, please be in prayer about whether that might be something you're called to share and to do. Um, Whether or not you make a, a uh, I, I'm going to call them kingdom visions, a, a kingdom vision video with me. Um, please know this. God has invested in you. Uh, he has invested in you with life and with talent and with the gospel, the best news ever told. And his expectation is that you will work with what you've been given. It doesn't matter how much you've been given. It matters how much you do with it. And God wants to do eternally significant things with you as together You and he build the kingdom of heaven on earth. Thanks be to God. Amen.